Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. As we continue this uh, very brief two-part uh, series on the doctrine of man, Romans 8, 29. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for your law and promises. Thank you that your word reveals to us our sin, sins of our hearts, sins of our minds, the sins of our affections, sins of our hands and feet. Thank you also, Lord, that your word shows us Christ, who never once sinned, who never gave in to temptation. Pray, O oh Lord, that as we open your word again this evening, and as we study the doctrine of man, you would show us the greatest man, the God-man, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And by your grace and by your spirit, O oh Lord, help us to repent of our sins, put our faith and our trust solely in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we, of course, unpacked uh, the doctrine of man as it relates to creation and the imago dei, or the image of God. That is, that God, by his sovereign power, created mankind and not the other way around. We didn't imagine God up in our minds. God is, and he always was, and he always will be. He is the blessed and eternal God, and he created man. And so if we want to understand the nature and the purpose of man, we need to look to God and to his word. God, therefore, determines truth and reality. God determines truth and reality, not man. We don't decide what things are. If someone in this room decided that there were no chairs in this room, it wouldn't make that true. It would mean that that person did not see reality. And so we understand that it is God who has made us, and he determines truth and reality. God made mankind male and female. He created them with a body and a living and rational soul. Again, these are the things we considered this morning. On their personal and rational souls, God impressed his own image and likeness. In other words, he created mankind, uh, the crowning glory of his creation, with original righteousness. This original righteousness distinguishes mankind 
from the animals. You may love Scruffy the dog, and he may be fun to play with and to run around on the beach with and to steal my sandwiches with, but they are not endowed with, with souls, with the image of God impressed upon them. We are rational uh, beings with human souls. And that's an important point from this morning. We are created with original righteousness. And this brings us, of course, into covenant and fellowship with God. Animals do not have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with God because we are made in the image of God and we were created to worship and fellowship and commune with the living God. We never expressed more of what it means to be a human than when we worship God and we bow to his holy will and we serve him and delight in him. That's what we've been made to do. And so you wonder why, you say, Pastor John, why, are, why is depression on the rise? Why are there so many suicides? Why are so many people depressed? What's happening in our culture? The answer is our culture, as I mentioned this morning, is becoming more and more secular, that is, devoid of God and his truth. And so it shouldn't surprise us that, the, that depression is on the rise when church attendance is on the decline and where faithful gospel preaching is on uh, the decline. Because God made us for himself and he wired us to have communion with him. It's, our, it's, it's the reason why we were made. Uh, and, and so it shouldn't surprise us when people are out of sorts, when they are out of fellowship with God. He truly is the one who gives us fulfillment and satisfaction and, and joy because he, as we read this morning from Psalm 139, knit us together in our mother's womb. He gave us a soul. He stamped his image upon it, and he made us for himself. So as C.S. Lewis says, in some way, I think I'm butchering this quote, but something like this, that if you're seeking happiness outside of God, you are a fool. If you're seeking rest and contentment and lasting joy outside of God, you are a fool. Now, we can have uh, uh, joy um, uh, that is temporary in the gifts that God gives to us in this world, but if you seek to have your ultimate joy and your ultimate contentment and your ultimate fulfillment in the things of this world, you will be disappointed and you will get depressed because it would be depressing if you were running on a treadmill forever, going nowhere fast. You know, at least when you're running long distance, you like start somewhere and you end somewhere and you have a sense of satisfaction. But people are on a treadmill because they're seeking fulfillment in the things of this world, and it can never bring fulfillment. And listen, life and salvation is not all about fulfillment either. But these are realities that we will not find it outside of the Lord. We need to remember that. 
Young people need to remember this as you are fed so many lies by the world that says if you can just have the next relationship or the next product or watch the next series or have the next uh, great Instagram post that you will finally reach that point where you're, you're at peace and you're satisfied. But it never happens that way. It's only when we walk with God, the one who made us for himself and for his own glory. Well, again, we learned this morning that God created us in his image so that we would possess virtues and characteristics that would resemble him and bring us into eternal fellowship with him. But, of course, Adam and Eve chose something different. They believed the lie of the serpent, the devil, and they ate the forbidden fruit. They sinned and they hid from God. And united to our first parents, we sin and we hide from God in our natural selves. It's what mankind does. Man sins, hides from God, and suppresses righteousness, Romans chapter 118. It's, it's the description of mankind. It's why the world is the way it is. As I mentioned this morning, our surprise, the surprise isn't necessarily the way, why the world is the way it is. It's, it's why isn't it worse when we consider the depravity of mankind? So rather than be born with original righteousness, humanity is born with original sin. Say that again. Rather than born with original righteousness or some kind of a clean slate, man is born with original sin. And while our souls are still stamped with the imago dei or the image of God, we still possess the image of God, the semblance of it, that image in us because of sin is marred and defaced. So if you can just imagine your soul being stamped with the image of God, with God, with knowledge and righteousness and holiness and wisdom, and all of those things were perfect in Adam and Eve, but when sin entered the world and entered our lives, that, that stamp becomes marred and defaced so that now our knowledge of God is skewed and confused. We embrace earthly wisdom before we embrace the wisdom of God. We don't walk in holiness, we walk in sin. We don't walk in righteousness, we walk in unrighteousness. And so those very things that were stamped upon us so that we could have fellowship God are marred and defaced. And it's often hardly discernible for those who are walking in their sin and in darkness apart from Christ. The perfect knowledge, wisdom, holiness, and righteousness that was stamped upon the souls of our first parents, Adam and Eve, is shattered and ruined within us. And so we need a Savior to rescue us from just judgment and eternal ruin. We need a mediator. We need a savior. Lord, help me. We need a mediator to reconcile us to God and to restore God's image within us. And that's what brings us to our subject for this evening. We've considered how God created man and for what purpose and design God made him. And we've considered the ruin that mankind has brought upon himself and that he exists in today. And again, it's brought so much confusion into the world in which we live. Let me ask you, if you're here this evening, are you living in that confusion? Are you living on that treadmill? Are you seeking happiness in the things of this world apart from the God who has made you to be happy in him? Something that you ought to consider. Even as you hear the gospel, how wonderful it is that the Lord says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden in your sin, come to me and I will give you 
grace, mercy, forgiveness, a new life in my son. This evening we will consider salvation of man and specifically as it relates to the renewal and the repair of the imago dei through spirit wrought sanctification. So there are two points this evening. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God and blessed Savior. Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God and blessed Savior. We, we've learned already, are made in the image of God. Genesis 2.7. Our souls are stamped, as it were, with his knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, all of which are defaced by sin. Jesus Christ is the image of God. We've been made in the image of God. Jesus Christ, however, is the image of God, perfectly representing God to man and perfectly representing man to God. He is, therefore, the perfect mediator, the one who would bring reconciliation between God and man. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20. And what I'm hoping that we'll see in this brief time tonight is, is that, that you will see in Scripture these texts in the future, and when you see Christ um, described as the image of God or the exact imprint of God, you say, oh, okay, and, and, and you'll think, okay, this makes sense now. Because our souls are stamped with the image of God. We've been made the image of God. That image of God is marred. But Christ is the perfect image of God who came to save us and to renew and restore within us that image of God in sanctification. Look with me at Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Why does the world exist? Why was it created? For Jesus Christ. For his glory. Verse 17, And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was not created. He's always been. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Christ is the image of God, and the fullness of God dwells in him. God created the world through him. He holds all things together. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The world exists for him and for his glory, and he came to make peace. By the blood of the cross. John Calvin comments on this text, quote, Let us note the word, word image is not used of his essence, but has a reference to us. For Christ is the image of God because he makes God in a manner visible to us. Calvin continues and states that, quote, The sum is that God in himself 
that is, in his naked majesty, is invisible. God is invisible to us. And that not only to the physical eyes, but also to human understanding. And that he is revealed to us in Christ alone, where we may behold him as in a mirror. For in Christ he shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. We must therefore take care not to seek him elsewhere. For outside Christ, everything that claims to represent God will be an idol. You see, Christ, Calvin is explaining, being the image of God, represents God to us because he is God. He is the fullness of God. And when we know Christ, and when we see Christ, we see and we know God. Paul writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, quote, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ is the true image of God who has come to save us and who the devil seeks to obscure from us. The writer to the Hebrews also points to Christ as the image of God, doesn't he? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Turn there with me. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Now, these texts I'm pointing you to are some of the most glorious Christocentric texts in all the Bible. They exalt uh, the, uh, the glory and the majesty and the divinity uh, of Christ. And here... We read in Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here is Christ, the eternal son, being born of a virgin, taking on human flesh. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He took on human flesh. Of course, he took on a human soul a rational human soul, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that now for a minute. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe. Think of Christ hanging on the cross, despised and forsaken by men. They are spitting on him. They are mocking him. They are heaping scorn upon him. They are saying things like, if you're really the son of God, come down from that cross. They are mocking him. Christ is not only saying things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But he is upholding the universe, which includes their beating hearts.
And that should blow your mind about how much love is in the heart of Christ. He is upholding these mockers as he hangs and suffers on a wooden cross. He is upholding these men and women who are shouting and have shouted, crucify him, let him die. He's upholding them by the word of his power. It's important that we understand this about Jesus. He's not only the eternal son of God, he's not only the prince of heaven, he's not only our prophet, our priest, our shepherd, our savior, our king, and so many other things. He is the perfect image of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The one who has come from heaven to restore us through his mediatorial work by grace through faith, the imago dei, which has been marred and shattered in us through sin. He's come to restore that image of God within us. And he has done so by saving us from our sin, by giving us new life in him, by bringing us into union with himself, and then beginning a process called sanctification whereby he is renewing within us the image of God day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, even as we make our way to the promised land. Which brings us to our second and final point. Sanctification means becoming like Christ. Sanctification means becoming like Christ. An important aspect of our salvation is that we've been saved unto holiness. Again, in union with Christ, by faith, we are justified and we are being sanctified. Another way of putting it is that in union with Christ, we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ and less and less to sin and to this world. It's glorious. Glorious. It's a spirit wrought process that is mentioned in our text for this evening. Look there with me in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 and 30. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. This is God's purpose in redemption, that we would be conformed to the image of God's Son. Question 75 of the larger catechism, the Westminster larger catechism, the question is asked, what is sanctification? And if you go to any Reformed confession, any Reformed systematic theology, any Reformed writings on sanctification, you will always have mention of the kinds of things that are mentioned here, which are clearly biblical. What is sanctification? Sanctification, they write, is a work of God's grace whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them. Now listen. Renewed in their whole man after the image of God 
having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts. And those graces so stirred up, increased, and strengthened as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. This is sanctification, being renewed in the whole man after the image of God. Now, let me ask you something. When we talk about the doctrine of total depravity, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, total depravity, how much of our being then is impacted by sin? How much of it? All of it. Total depravity. <laughs> total depravity. It's, it's depravity of our, our intellect. It's depravity of our will. It's, it's depravity of our, our affections. It's depravity of everything and that we are. It's, it's being dead in sin, and every part of us is, is affected by, by sin. But here we're reminded that we are renewed in sanctification in the whole man after the image of God. That is, it's not as if some compartments are left untouched. Just as sin has left nothing untouched in us, when we are united to Christ the Spirit of God begins a restoration, renovation project in us where He begins to restore in us the image of God and no part of us is left untouched by the Spirit. Isn't that good news? He doesn't do like we do and leave you know, a part of the house a disaster area. And if you try to keep Him out, He keeps trying to come in to, to repair and to renew that part of your life that you may be trying to cordon off. Well, Lord, I'm giving you all this, so I'm just going to keep this over here. I'm going to keep this anger or grudges or sexual immorality or hatred. or I'm going to keep that because I'm, I'm giving you all this other stuff in my life. Can't have this. And God says, oh, yes, I can. And that one thing will be a cancer and will affect everything else. The way sin works, you can't can't keep one sin off to the side and not allow the Lord to have his way with us. See, he renews the whole man after the image of God, after the image of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Paul writes, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Now look there. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. As we've been studying in Romans We've taken a little break this summer, but in Romans chapter 6, over and over again, the point is made is that no longer are we under the dominion of sin. We are now under the dominion of Christ, and He is sanctifying us. We're saved by His grace. We are justified before God's throne. We have a right standing with God, but in Christ now, we are being renewed in the image of God day by day, and He's changing us, and He's, he's renewing us after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Remember, 
When the image of God is stamped upon the human soul, there is knowledge, there is righteousness, and there is holiness, there is wisdom, and all of that is being renewed as we sit under the word and hear his truth, as we remember our baptisms and witness baptisms, as we come to the Lord's table and partake of the bread and wine, as we engage in singing and fellowship and prayer, as we spend time during the week in personal disciplines, reading the Bible, walking with God, praying, the Lord is working in us and he's repairing within us and restoring in us and renewing in us the image of God which was defaced and marred because of sin. And we become conformed to Jesus Christ who is the perfect image of God sent to save us from our sins. Yes, indeed, God sent his son into the world to save you, to save you and to restore you and me to fellowship with God to renovate the image of God within us. Through union with Christ, the perfect man who is the image of God and the exact imprint of his nature, you and I are being conformed to his image and restored. Now listen, we are being restored to the original design for joyful fellowship with God and with each other forever. Remember, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them and he stamped his image upon them so that they would resemble him in righteousness and holiness and wisdom and knowledge, and he can then have fellowship with man. And that was lost, but it's restored in Christ. So he brings us to him in Christ. No longer are we outcasts, but we are brought near by the blood of Christ. And now we have communion with God again in him. And God, dear ones, is committed to your complete sanctification. The whole man. And that's a significant part of the good news of the gospel. By his powerful grace, God redeems and transforms sinners. He justifies and sanctifies those whom he saves. Christ purchases and purifies those whom he redeems by his blood. Think of it this way, by way of analogy. Young Hal's going like, to like this one. It's a stringed instrument. A restorer of antiquarian instruments, goes to an estate sale and purchases a neglected and dilapidated cello. The instrument is in such disrepair and covered with so much dust and grime that no one recognizes its former beauty or potential. After he purchases the cello, he begins a restoration process that takes a very long time. Every part of the cello is virtually ruined. First, the new owner begins rubbing and cleaning away the layers of dust and filth. After finishing the laborious cleaning process, he begins repairing the numerous scratches and nicks and cracks in the wood. He concludes the process with some good polishing. The strings on the cello are very old and need to be removed and replaced. Then comes the bow. It needs a lot of work. The entire restoration is in view of the antiquated cello being restored to its original glory, to the way it was first created to look and to perform and to make beautiful music again in the hands of the master. Now, my analogy will probably fall short in different ways. Analogies always do. But isn't this picture of sanctification. 
God purchases us with the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit begins a very long process of renovation and restoration. More and more cleansing our natures from the pollution of sin and more and more conforming us to the image of His blessed Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a lifelong process. Never fast enough. Frustrating. We frustrate ourselves. We sometimes become discouraged. But it's a lifelong process which will produce growing fruit. And this is all with a view to the glory of God. With the glory of Christ. Son of God. The one who purchased us with his very own blood in order that we would not only be owned by him, but sanctified by him. Isn't this the focus of Paul's words in Titus 2? Turn with me to Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. It states, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, that is all types of people, training us, this salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, now listen, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is what Christ has done. He saved us that we would be a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. The fact is God's saving grace in Christ is much bigger and more comprehensive than one might initially think. God's God's grace not only rescues, it renovates. It not only justifies, it sanctifies. It not only reconciles, it renews. It not only propitiates, it purifies. It not only delivers, it matures. Indeed, the sovereign grace of God not only saves us from our sins, it saves us to a life of growing holiness. And that's good news because as we grow in holiness, we grow in our fellowship with God and in our mature fellowship with one another and we grow more at peace and more full of love, even when the circumstances of this life become difficult. But this is a complete renovation. Listen to what Thomas Boston writes. Quote, this is an illustration he uses. As the sap conveyed from the stalk or the trunk into the branch goes through it and through every part of it, so the Spirit of Christ sanctifies the whole man. The poison of sin was diffused through the whole spirit, soul, and body of the man. And sanctifying grace pursues it into every corner. Every part of the man is sanctified, though no part is perfectly so. Just as a real estate investor might purchase a ramshackle home in a promising part of town and over time renovate it to the highest standard, so God purchases ruined sinners with the blood of Christ. He declares them his own. And over time, by his spirit and the means of grace, he renovates them, he renovates us to the highest standard, to the standard 
of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so what a wonderful thing to think about when thinking about sanctification. The telos, or the end of our sanctification, is to become like Jesus, our elder brother and our beloved Savior. Paul writes in Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Beloved, the biblical doctrine of man, a true Christian anthropology rooted in Scripture, needs to be recovered in our day. This morning we were reminded from Genesis 1 and 2 about the creation of man and the design and purpose for which God created mankind. We were reminded that while God made mankind, both male and female, with original righteousness, that righteousness was lost in the fall, and consequently the image of God was defaced and marred in our souls. This evening, we've considered the salvation of mankind and the imago dei, the image of God, and that all hope is not lost because God sent his son, the perfect image of God, into this world to live a perfect life, to die an atoning death, and to rise again from the dead, defeating hell, Satan, sin, and death, all for you, all for me, by his sovereign grace. And united to Jesus, we are not only justified, namely having a right standing with God, never to be cast out, but we are being sanctified in him. That is, by God's Spirit, being more and more conformed to the image of God's Son, our Savior. So, beloved, my prayer is that our church, our church family, would be established on this right understanding of man as we face many attacks from the world and many confusions even in our own mind about what man is, who God has made us to be, and how salvation works as it concerns our redemption in relation to Jesus Christ, the ultimate man, the ultimate man, the, and who is the perfect image of God. And may we teach these things to our covenant children. Because they are, in case you haven't noticed, growing up in a very different world than you and I did. I grew up in Northern California, 45 minutes from San Francisco. And I don't remember seeing much at all as it concerns the things happening today. Hearing about it, seeing it on TV, seeing it in person while being in the city and so forth. But dear ones, it's everywhere now. It's ubiquitous. And we must instruct our children in love to understand these things about the doctrine of man, a Christian anthropology. And may we be resolved in our convictions with deep humility and prayerful sympathy for the lost, not holding our views with arrogance, but with Christ-like love and compassion for so many who, like us, need the Lord. I want to conclude by reading the first question and answer in the new uh, uh, Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality, uh, which my friend Chris Gordon uh, put together and that many of us were uh, a part of in its production. 
Uh, it is fantastic, and this question and answer one relates so much to what we have been considering today. I wanted to end with it. And of course, you'll hear the echoes of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, as I read. Question one, why is it comforting that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ? Why is it comforting that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ? Answer, I am being remade into the image of Christ. To have a true identity in body and soul throughout the whole course of my life. To enjoy God and glorify Him forever. He redeemed my life with the precious blood of His Son and has delivered me from the lie of Satan in the garden. He also watches over me in such a way that he might free me from all sexual impurity as the temple of his indwelling. In fact, all things must work together to remake me into the image of his son. Because I have this new identity, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of God's steadfast love and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to enjoy true freedom as a new creation. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word on these matters. And we are so humbled to think that while we have raised our collective fist against you, you responded with love, sending your Son into the world to save us, to bring us back into union with you through Christ and to then sanctify us and renew and restore the image of God within us that was marred and defaced by sin. Thank you, O Lord, for the blood of Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are new creatures in Christ, that we have new life in Christ, and that we can find our identity in him and not in the things of this world primarily. O Lord, help us by your grace to be faithful Christians and faithful witnesses of your word in this world and sphere that you've placed us in. I pray this in Jesus' name.